0: Today we're uh, going to jump into some scripture and a story that you're probably all familiar with, but probably not from this perspective. Several weeks ago, for those of you that have been attending on Wednesday nights, and you know you should attend on Wednesday nights, we've been talking about heaven and what heaven's going to be like. And it's been such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Bible study, and has been so encouraging to so many, including myself. But it was interesting, just two weeks ago, um, when I knew I was going to be speaking today, I said, Lord, it's, it's interesting. That'll be my birthday. And it'll be the beginning of the eighth year as associate pastor here at Valley Church. Hard to believe. And the seventh year of being dean of the School of Ministry. And on and on and on. And And I said, I really appreciate, Lord, you helping us help the students understand their identity in Christ. And what I heard the Lord starting to speak to me was, what do you tell people when they ask you what you do? And I said, well, you know, I could say this, I could say that, I could say one thing or another. And the Lord says, no, from now on, when people ask you what business you're in, I want you to say that you're in the bridal business. Do you feel, do you feel that? You're in the bridal business. Several years ago there was some students here at our School of Ministry that presented me a plaque that said, you know, a prophetic word that you're an Eliezer. And Eliezer is someone that we're going to be talking about today. He was the servant to Abraham. And even though he's not named in the Bible, Josephus, the Bible historian from the first century, said his name was Eliezer, and Eliezer means El, God. Ezer, the helper of. So Eliezer, the helper of God. And they presented me with this plaque that, to them, that prophetic word over my life was to be the helper of God. And that's what it is to be in the bridal business. Can I hear an amen there? the bridal business, and that's what we're going to be talking about today, but the title of our message today is, From Servants to Friends, From Servants to Friends, and we're going to be talking about uh, several different people in the Bible, but primarily Eliezer, since the Lord has really brought that to, to my mind, and that is taken from Genesis chapter 24. I think a lot of you are aware of that story. and In the Wednesday night Bible studies, we've been talking about heaven. And uh, last Wednesday night, I said, now I want you to write down, we've been talking about the new heaven and the new earth, write down what you want to have in the new earth. What are you excited about? What are you longing for? And we had some wonderful things that were written down. But the most interesting was, Someone wrote down, hugs, hugs, and hugs, and no bugs. I'm not sure about the no bugs, since the new earth is going to be totally recreated and and there'll still be lots of plants and animals there. But praise God for hugs, hugs, and hugs. Praise God that we are in the bridal business. So, as we look at stating heaven and the fact that we're going to spend eternity with Christ, we also ask the question, Why did God create man in the first place? I mean, really, the creators of the heavens and earth and and all the wonderful things that He created on earth, why did He create man? I, I mean, He couldn't have been lonely. He already had millions and millions and millions of angels. Amen? So why is He lonely? Well, the angels are servants, and God desired to have a friend. Say that again. God desired to have a friend. So, the key verse today that we're going to start out with is from John chapter 15, verses 13 through 17. And then we're going to get in and and very quickly run through some scriptures. John 15, 15, excuse me, uh, starting with verse 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. friends. 14. You are my you are my friends If if you do whatever I command you. Now he's referring to the new covenant that he brought to earth, the covenant of grace, the covenant of eternal life, and the fact that his command was You are my disciples, and you will take the good news to all nations. Say nations. Nations. So the Lord is looking for a friend to take the gospel to all nations. And verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. So the Lord wants to call you friends. Verse 16, you did not choose me but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name he will give you. These things I command you that you love one another. So the purpose of Christ creating man was to have a friend and he was looking for people that would be more than servants. He was looking for people that would be his friends to do the work that he has called them to do. Now when we think about friends, obviously the first, first person we think about is Adam. He created Adam and Eve. And one of the most beautiful things about Adam, as we've been studying in the, in the study of heaven, was that Adam was not an ape man. Amen? Adam was a brilliant, intelligent, highly resourceful who walked and talked with God every evening." Now that to me sounds like friendship. In fact, he was so intelligent that God had him do one thing. He says, now I'm going to bring all the living creatures by you and you're going to name them all. How many of us could even begin to name a hundred of them? So Adam was obviously a very intelligent creation of God, to be God's friend, and to take care of God's creation. Amen? So, soon after Adam and after the fall, things were not nearly as well on earth as God had created them. And there was a lot of evil upon the earth. And that doesn't mean that God wasn't still looking for a friend. In fact, uh, several generations later after Adam there was a man by the name of Enoch. Enoch walked with God for 365 years. And then the Bible says, and then he was not. What does that mean? Enoch was so close to God that there's no record of his ever dying, but that God took him to heaven. Enoch, I don't know what you're doing up there, but I'm sure you're having a great time getting ready for us to come and join you. Praise God. Enoch had a great-grandson who was in very close relationship with God. Uh, Despite uh, men doing what was right in their own eyes, in the midst of a tremendous turmoil and chaos, there was a descendant of Enoch by the name of Noah. And even in the midst of all the evil, Noah found what? Grace in the eyes of the Lord. And once again, very few people think about it, but Noah and God worked together building an ark, and it took them about 100 years to do that. Now, if you're going to spend 100 years with somebody every day on the job, I think you want them to be your friend. Hello? And I hope that you all have a dear friend. My closest friend was a young lady that was just standing by me up here. She's been my closest friend for 52 years. I thought that would be a hallelujah, (laughs) hallelujah, praise God. And, you know, when you work together with your friends, there are great trials and great blessings that come with that. And obviously, the greatest blessing that came out of the relationship with Noah was that the Lord was very unhappy with things that were going on in the earth. So he helped Noah prepare the ark and bring the creatures on the ark and his family on the ark. And then at the end, the Lord, in uh, Genesis 8.1 promised Noah, you know, I'm not going to curse the world again with another flood. It's not going to happen. So, everything is fine and good and dandy, right? But a few generations after Noah, man once again returned to doing that which was evil in their own eyes. And there was a descendant of Noah's called Nimrod, who the Bible says was a great warrior, and he built many cities. And then there was one day where Nimrod really rebelled against God, and he said, in the city of Babel that he began, he said, let's build a tower, and that tower had two purposes. The tower was, first of all, we'll build a tower to heaven so that we can be as God. The second thing he said is indicated, according to Josephus, know that uh, Nimrod also did that because he wanted to build a tower so high that if God ever had a flood come in again that they could escape to this tower. <laughs> he had forgotten the promise, the covenant that God had made with Noah that I'll never again destroy the earth with the flood. So now into our story. 400 years after Nimrod, or 400 years, excuse me, after Noah, by the way, Noah lived a long time after the flood, but 400 years after him came another descendant by the name of Abram, or better known as Abraham. Uh And does anybody realize, did you ever think that the fact that that Noah lived so long that there was probably about a 40-year overlap between Noah and Abraham? So Abraham probably was very, 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 very aware of the story of the flood and the story of the covenant, but yet Abraham had the call of God in his life, and Abraham's call was to leave the area of Babylon where he was at, his family, and travel around the Great Crescent, what they call the uh, communication or the travel crescent around the Great Desert and then back into the Promised Land. And he finally settled in the Canaan area after spending some time in Egypt, where, by the way, he got great wealth. Remember that story? He went into Egypt and got great wealth from the Pharaoh because the Pharaoh thought, well, you know, wow, Abraham's wife is a beautiful woman. And Pharaoh took her to be his and you know that didn't turn out so well so the Pharaoh gave Abraham tremendous wealth, all kinds of gold and, and uh, all kinds of things. So Abraham then came back to the Canaan land and he went, went more tests. There were many things that happened to him there. One of which was he was asked by God to sacrifice his own son. But it was after he was willing to do that, the Lord once again blessed him and made a new covenant with him that his descendants would be like the sands of the sea and the stars of the skies. And he was called the father of the faithful, the father of many nations. That was the promise that, uh, that God had given him. It tells us uh, in Scripture that Abraham was looking for a new city whose builder and maker was God. That's Hebrews 11.10. In the book of James, this is interesting, many, many, many years later, in the book of James, chapter 2, verse 23, it says, And the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So Abraham was called the friend of God. So now we move on to a very interesting story. Go with me to Genesis chapter 24. The Lord was really dealing with me about the fact that of, of this story. And I heard in my spirit the Lord say, Have you considered the servant? And I thought, hmm, that sounds like from the book of Job. You know, the Lord said, have you considered my servant Job? But the Lord said to me, have you considered my servant in Genesis 24? So this is a very interesting story. And I know a lot of you have read this. And I'm going to read some things here that help us set the stage for why this is so important. And I'm reading from the NIV. Sorry, Linda. I'm reading from the NIV. Abraham was now old. He was about 140 years old, for those of you that are taking notes. He was was an older, older, older person. And they had already had the miracle of their son being born to him and Sarah. And the Lord had blessed him in every way. See, it was not only the Pharaoh of Egypt that blessed him with multiple things. It was also Melchizedek who blessed him with several wealthy things and land. And then there was also King Abimelech who is also very similar to the Pharaoh story where King Abimelech decided, hmm, I, wouldn't like to, I would like to have Sarah as my wife. And when he took her into his home, the Lord spoke to Abimelech and said, oh, that's Abraham's wife. And what did Abimelech do? He gave thousands of gold pieces and silver and animals to Abraham. So when Abraham here is 140 years old, It can be argued, and Josephus talks about this, it can be argued that Abraham was probably the richest man in the world at that time. And he had a son. He had a promise. But yet the promise could not be fulfilled unless his son had a bride. So, verse 2, he said to the chief servant. Now, this chief servant is not named in the Bible. Again, it was Josephus that said it was Eliezer. Eliezer. But I want you to notice something about this chief servant. He had served Abraham, obviously, for a very long time. And just before Abraham was visited by God and told that he would have his own son, and from his own son would come multitudes and multitudes of nations, Abraham had told God, Lord, I don't have a descendant. I am ready to give the greatest wealth in the world to who? My servant. And most people don't realize that. This servant was so faithful and such a great friend to Abraham that Abraham was willing to give him everything and make him his heir. So see, that's why I think the Lord is saying, consider the servant, this man's heart. So he said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all he had, He's the bookkeeper for Abraham. Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by God, by the Lord God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and to my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. Oh, no small task. First of all, we need to spend a few minutes talking about covenant. We look at this portion of scripture and we go, this is so strange. Why did, why did Abraham say, put your hand under my thigh? Well, that, that today would not be socially acceptable. <laughs> but it was something that was very acceptable then because the manservant who was being, you know, giving a vow to his master was expected to swear by the heritage of the master. In other words, the seed of the master. So literally, I know it sounds a little gross to us today, but literally, he, was, he swore by the seed of Abraham that he would fulfill the covenant of Abraham by doing what his, what his master asked him. And then verse 5, the servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? And Abraham said, this is verse 6, Make sure that you do not... Take my son back there, Abraham said, the Lord and the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, of Ur, and who spoke to me and promised me on an oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land, the Canaan land. He will send his angel before you, so that you can get a wife from my son from there, for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then will you be released from the oath of mine. This is what Abraham told his servant only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning the matter. Now I want you to, as I also many times say, the best way for you to understand scripture is to put yourself in the place of that person. Are you doing that? Are you you bringing the image of the servant into your imagination? Verse 10, then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. Now remember, his master is one of the richest guys alive. He set out for Aram Neharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. Now Nahor is where Abraham's brother had stopped. After leaving Earth. he stopped in an area of Nahor, which today would be known as Syria, northern Syria. Syria. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time that the women go out to draw water. Now we're going to stop there, because in Genesis 24, this story is told twice. He tells it as it's happening, and then he tells it again after it's happened. So let's run ahead and uh, go to verse 42. Now he's telling the story after it's happened. He's telling the story again to the young girl's father, mother, and brother. Verse 32. When I came to the spring today, I said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I have come. Now remember, he has journeyed 500 miles by camel to get to Nahor. Have any of you ever ridden a camel? Oh, come on, a few of you have, right? Okay. Did you know that you can get seasick riding a camel? My uncle one time decided to buy a camel to go along with all of his zoo animals, and he said, Richie, get up there. Oh. Rich, get up there and see how you can ride this camel." Well, I tried to get on that camel and I kept sliding off the back and then holding on to the tail, you know, I can't can't stay on this. So they finally fixed up a saddle, and I remember getting on that camel, and the first thing is you go like this every step it takes. And after a while you start going, "Mm." but to ride 500 miles on a camel Okay, maybe we better get off that subject. But he had, he had gone 500 miles, and I can imagine every time that camel took a step, he says, Oh God, oh God, oh God. Not because he's on a camel, but because what he's been asked to do is an impossible situation. I'm going to Nahor that's got thousands of people. Yes, it's, it's being, it was area settled by Abraham's brother, but there's thousands of Let's read on. So, verse 43. See, I am standing beside this spring. If a maiden comes out to draw water, and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar, and if she says to me, drink, and I will draw water for your camels too, Let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. He actually was speaking prophetically. He was speaking prophetically and declaring, this is how I'm going to know. Now, what are the chances of getting to a well in a city that had lots of wells? What are the chances of somebody coming out and getting water at 7 o'clock at night, the end of the long journey, What are the chances of a girl coming out and doing what he asked? Verse 45, before I finished praying in my heart, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. Now stop, let's put yourself in Rebekah's place. Rebekah is a very wealthy young lady. She's the granddaughter of Nahor, who is a very rich man too, according to Josephus. He had been blessed beyond measure. So here's a very young lady, and she's coming to draw water with, a, with this big pitcher on her shoulder, when she probably had lots of maidservants already who could have done that for her. But here she comes, led of the Spirit, to do this, this appointed time. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, Please, give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink? and I will water your camels too. So I drank and she watered the camels also." Now stop, how many camels are there? Ten. On a long journey, how many gallons of water can a camel drink at the end of a long journey? Thirty. Ten times thirty, somebody help me, how many gallons? Three hundred gallons of water. So this rich young girl who's got all kinds of maids, comes out with this probably gallon and a half jar, which was typical in those days, and she had to go down to a spring and then come back up and pour water into a truck. As much as 300 gallons? What does that tell me about Rebecca? She had a good heart. And even though she had maidens that she could have snapped her fingers and they could have come running to help her, she did this work. Wow. Verse 47, I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, the son of Nahor, from Melchah, my mother Melchah, bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother of his son. That's what you call a divine appointment. Everybody say divine appointment? Okay, now the Lord said, now consider my servant. Here we are. Let's jump down now to verse 56. So can you imagine if you're Rebecca, you're walking back into your home, and now you've got a gold ring in your left nostril. That was very typical of those days. And you have two gold bracelets. And those bracelets in those days were, were beat out of, out of gold, and they usually went from the wrist to the elbow. So here's Rebecca walking back into her home and saying, Mom, Dad, look! <laughs> Here was a young lady who had made herself ready to be a bride. Because, you know, her, her parents and her brothers said, Well, you know, servant, come on in. Let's feed you. Let's, let's take care of your camels for the night. And, oh, by the way, oh, the story is you want Rebecca to go with you, to go back to Abraham's son, to be his wife? Well, no, we need to give her ten days to think about that. And what did the servant say? You know, I've got to get back. I have got to get back right away. No, we, we need to leave in the morning. Now, imagine yourself as a young girl, probably 16 years old, who was living in in a rich family, and some guy comes along and says, I want you to come home and be the bride of my master's son. Think about that. But what the Lord is saying through this is, remember that she was raised to be royalty. And in her mind, her mindset was royalty. Her mindset was that she had been prepared as a bride, to be royalty. We are too. That's why I'm in the bridal business. Anybody else here in the bridal business? You're here to help people be prepared to be a bride of Christ? Okay. So, go down to verse 56, but he said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so that I may go to my master. Then he said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. Did you ever stop to think that the Lord is preparing a bride who has made herself ready, according to Revelations 19. And when the Lord comes back for his bride, how many of you are ready to say, let's go. I will go. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of the enemies. Then Rebecca and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the servant took Rebecca and left. Now that's a beautiful story and I would really encourage you to go home and reread that story several times yourself. But now we want to move on very quickly. There are many, many typologies in that story to Christ and His bride. And preparing for His bride and longing for His bride. But the Lord said again, have you considered my servant? So I want to point out a few things about this servant. We've already mentioned that historians call his name Eliezer, a helper of God. We already mentioned that uh, he was a faithful servant, and Abraham was ready to give him all of his wealth before the miraculous birth of his son. And uh, we know that he was wealthy because of all the blessings he had been giving from other kings and pharaohs. But after the new covenant, at the age of 140, the task was given to this servant. That's really an impossible servant, or impossible task, without the interference of God. So he swore an oath. He uh, sought after, did the 500-mile journey, and on his journey, he prayed, spoke a prophetic word, and the Lord fulfilled his faith. So, the, th- the thing that's most amazing to me is what was the journey back like? I mean, how, how long does it take to go 500 miles on Camelback? Anybody know? It took at least a month, if not longer. So, can you imagine the conversation between the servant and Rebecca on the trip home? You know how kids are. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Now, I'm sure that she was very excited and she was trying to get out of the servant as much information as she possibly could. And that's why I think one reason why on Wednesday nights people are so excited about our study on heaven because they're wanting to hear. Are we what's it like there? What's it like? What's it going to be like? What's Jesus like? What, 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 you know, and I could see Rebecca asking all kinds of questions: What is Isaac like? So after all that typology, there are five things I want to point out to you, those of you who are taking notes, five things that, five things that servants do not do, but friends do. Five things that servants do not do, but friends do. All right? So this servant, to me, was going through a transition from being more than a servant to being a friend of Abraham and helping prepare Rebekah for the wedding that was ahead. Are you ready for these five things? Because this is what we want you to do in your life, in your walk with the Lord. First of all, friends do much more than servants even to the laying down of their life friends do much more than servants would a servant die for his master? maybe but a friend will lay down their life for another friend and that's exactly what Jesus was talking about to his disciples one of the greatest examples of that is the story of Jonathan and David Jonathan was an heir to be king and yet he understood that God had called him to be a friend to David who was the anointed one and Jonathan was willing to lay down his own life because he had a covenant with David he knew that David was the anointed one so friends do much more than servants even to the laying down of their own lives now again put yourself in your in these shoes are we friends of God or are we just servants? Nothing wrong with being a servant. John, Luke, Paul, all talked about being servants of God, but they were also called friends, as we read in Matthew 15. Number two, friends are equally yoked, working together. Friends are equally yoked, working together. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 says, "'Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, "'for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So friends are equally yoked. So Jesus was asking you to be equally yoked with him. Now, I don't know if we have anybody here who uh, lived during the time when we used to yoke oxen and horses together. Anybody ever had that experience? A few of you? Well, let me share a little bit of not only Biblical history, but real history. Whenever, because we used to train a lot of horses, we didn't have any oxen, but we used to train lots of horses. And it was very common that if you're training horse to be in a team, that you yoke them together. And the secret of being yoked together was that you always took an old, experienced horse, or oxen, and you yoked it with the new colt that you're breaking in to be part of the team. What is the advantage of that? When you, when you yell an order to the team, the old, the old horse knows how to react, and the young horse goes, what are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? And after a while, the young horse starts following the older horse and understands that when you call certain things to horses, ye or haw or whatever, that the young horse soon, because he's equally yoked, learns how to be part of the team. So, difference between a servant and a friend? Equally yoked. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So if I'm yoked with Jesus, he's the experienced one. He's the knowledgeable one. I'm the young one. If I stick with Jesus, I'm going to learn the calls that come from the Father. Got that? That's number two. Number three. Number three. God chose you to be a friend. Matthew fifteen sixteen again. Friends are, jo- you know, I've, I've called you friends. Friends are chosen to be blessed for the relationship, whereas servants are chosen to get the work done. He wants to be in relationship with you. Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. So once again, friends are chosen to be blessed for for relationship, not just to get the work done. Number four, friends do things out of love for each other, not just because it's a duty. Friends do things out of love for each other, not just because it's a duty. We do things for the Lord, we are in the bridal business because we love the bridegroom. Amen? Amen? Yes. And number five, the thing that's very exciting to me, friends share secrets. Friends share secrets. You don't share secrets with your servant, but you do share f- secrets with your friends. This is from Proverbs 25.2. It says, the glory of God is to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out the matter. And what are we called biblically? We are called kings and priests of the Most High God because we're friends of God. So, hey, we're here to search out secrets. So I'm excited about what we're doing on Wednesday nights to search out the secrets of the mysteries of godliness, and what it's going to be like in heaven. In the New Testament we saw some examples of friends. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? One wanted to be a servant's heart, and one had a friend's heart. Which was which? Martha, Martha, why are you so busy with all these things that are not really important? Mary has chosen the better part. Mary has chosen to sit at my feet, to be equally yoked, and to learn the secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom of God. To me, one of the most amazing stories in the New Testament was the story of the centurion. He wasn't known to be a Christian, and yet when he came to, to, the, to Jesus he had a servant that he loved very much. And he said, Jesus, I want you to heal my servant. And Jesus said, OK, well, let's, let's get going. And the centurion said, no, stop, 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 stop. All you have to do is say the word. You don't have to physically go to my home. All you have to do is say the word. He, because I am a man of authority. I know what it is to say to this person, go and he goes and come and he comes. You, Jesus, all you have to do is say the word. And Jesus marveled at that man and he says, you know, I've been walking with you disciples for, for two and a half years so far. And yet this centurion who, who hasn't been following me but who knows me comes along and says, You don't have to go. All you have to do is say the word because you have the authority over everything. And this was a lesson to Jesus' disciples because he was saying, see, this is what I've been telling you. I came from my Heavenly Father to give you authority. I'm calling you my friends because I'm giving you the authority. And then later, when he, before he had ascended into heaven, he said, go and tarry until power be endued upon you from on high. I am not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who's going to anoint you, empower you, strengthen you, and you're going to go reach the nations with great authority. Now, how do we know who the friends of Jesus are. Well, it tells us in Matthew 25 verses 37 through 40 from the New King James Version. Here is a description of the friends of Jesus. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did I see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? Or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. So what is a friend of God? That describes a friend of God right there. The ones who have the anointing who go and do the work that God has called them to do to step out in faith to believe in the covenant of grace and accept that covenant and move from being a servant to a friend praise God if you could stand with me we're going to ask the prayer team to prepare to come up in just about two minutes I want everyone to hear this very closely, very clearly. Friends are not afraid to carry the water. Friends are not afraid to carry the water all the way to the end. Jesus said, out of of your bellies will flow rivers of living water. The friends are the ones who carry the living water and the friends are going to be the bride of Christ holy, pure. as we close the service today the Lord talked to me very specifically don't give them a lot of notes don't give them a lot of scriptures I want them to go home and read this story for themselves I want everyone this is the Lord speaking I want everyone to consider what it is to go from a servant to a friend. And One final comment on that. As I was preparing this, the Lord said, tell the congregation there is a difference between shame and conviction. If you feel shame, that's from the enemy. Because the enemy has only come to steal, kill, and destroy. So if you see yourself saying, Oh, uh, I'll never be a friend because I did such and such. That's shame. And that's not of God. We're going to pray and rebuke that today. Conviction is of God. Because conviction is the Holy Spirit speaking to your spirit that hey, here are some things that need to be taken care of so that you can be a friend of God so that you can be in the bridal business Amen? Amen. Okay, show of hands how many want to be in the bridal business? You want to help prepare the bride? If our prayer team could come up please And while they're coming Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for the message that we are to consider the servant. And Lord, as we consider the servant, Lord, we consider the covenant that you made with Abraham. And Lord, we consider the covenant that you made with us by going to the cross and then being raised the third day. Lord, we appreciate the fact that you are going to come again and that you're coming for a bride who has made herself ready and you're coming for a people who have worked to be friends of Jesus to help prepare the bride for your coming. So Lord, as we end this service today, we pray, Lord, for our thinking. We pray, Lord, for our mental Thinking. Lord, it says in Romans 12 that we must have a renewing of the mind. And Lord, we're praying right now that our minds will be totally renewed not to think as just a servant, but to think of ourselves as friends. Because of what you've done for us, you have called your disciples, those of us that are in the bridal business. Lord, you have told us that you no longer call us servants, but call us friends. Praise God. If you are here today and you've never had the opportunity to have this kind of friendship, the prayer team is here to pray with you. If you feel like there's something that you've been fighting a shame and you want to be set loose of that shame so you can just move on with God, again, they're here. If you want to just kneel at the altar, And just pour yourself out before the Lord. That altar is open for you too. But once again, the Lord told me very directly, no handouts, no long list of scriptures. Everyone is to hide this truth in their heart and go home and ponder the servant who becomes a friend. Praise God. those of you who would like to come and be prayed for you can come now for those of you that would need to leave we ask God to bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and make you friends and everyone said Amen, Amen. God bless you